morning, Christ Central. My name is Dina Jabor, and I'm part of the Chantilly Community Group. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's certainly a pleasure to be with you this morning, and um, just good to be in the house of the Lord one more time, and uh, have been doing, like many of you at home, just worshiping uh, online, and that's been a gift just to be able to assemble in some kind of form or fashion, but there's nothing like um, being in the same space as others who are calling on the name of the Lord, whether for the thousandth time or the first time, and so uh, this is a huge privilege for me and an honor just to be with you all here this morning. Um, we have been going through the Gospel of Mark. And if you've been following along for the past couple of weeks, you've noticed that, uh, that, that uh, Mark is, you know, his picture of Jesus is very, shall we say, immediate. So as you go through the Gospel of Mark, you see that uh, oftentimes, you know, Jesus is presented as a man of action. So often Mark will say, well, such and such happened, and then immediately Jesus did this, or immediately this next thing happened. So there's a lot of action happening in, in Mark's recording, his account of Jesus' life and ministry. And my duty this morning is to relate some of that action to your lives. Now, just as a way of review, if you haven't been following along, if you haven't been with us uh, these past couple of weeks, uh, when you look at Jesus, what you see is that already... Early in his ministry, like right after his baptism, like right after, he's taken into the wilderness. He's where he's tempted by the devil. Um, the Holy Spirit took him to that place right, and uh, helped him along the way. Jesus withstood. He passed the test. And he comes out and he begins to go to different synagogues. And as he goes to these different synagogues, these places of worship, he's announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. Something is about to change in the entire world. In fact, the entire universe, the whole cosmos. 
that many people would have looked forward to, but they weren't prepared for how it was going to happen. So when Jesus comes, he announces not only that the kingdom of God is at hand, but that he himself is the king who would bring that kingdom. And so you can imagine there are some people who are anxious, they want to hear more about that, don't know exactly what that means, but hey, I'm curious, I'm going to find out more about who this Jesus is. And then there are some who would naturally resist that kingdom, because when you're about your own kingdom and God shows up, there's going to be some resistance. And so we see this in Jesus' ministry. We see where, you know, so he, he's, he's going throughout now uh, the, the regions of Galilee where he grew up. He grew up in Nazareth, and you know, he spends some time there. He eventually goes down into to Israel. We saw that earlier on, and he encountered some opposition there. But it wasn't all opposition for Jesus because as he is preaching the word, as he is announcing the kingdom which he himself was coming to bring, we see that, that people are uh, released from captivity from demonic powers. We see that people are healed left and right. And often, like, as you look at these crowds, you have to wonder, like, who are all these people? Like, why are there so many sick people? Well, I, you know, I mean, we don't have to look too far to wonder, like, how that could happen. I mean, it's in a day like this in which we're living through a pandemic, we could actually kind of feel and sense what that's like to live in a society where there might be a lot of infirmed and sick around you. But there wasn't a pandemic at this time, right, in these days of Jesus. But, but if you look at it carefully, one thing that you'll see is that these, a lot of these folks just didn't have access to good health care. And so who's coming to Jesus was mostly the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor, and they're sick and they're being attacked by demons, and Jesus comes tenderly, the Savior of the world, and he releases them from this. So Jesus is on the streets, and he's already making his circuit. He's, he's going about the regions of Israel and Galilee, and later on we see it in a controversial way, even through Samaria. Right? And he's going through these different places, and the crowds are coming, and there's even one time in which he heals a leper. And he tells this leper, He's like, okay, you know, you're healed, don't tell anybody. Hey, what does a leper do? He tells everybody. Like, you know, it's kind of like an episode of Friday, you know, just sort of like, Smokey, what you doing over there? Like, I ain't going to tell nobody. Hey, everybody, Smokey is, you know, can't say the rest of the line. And then it's like, I ain't going to tell nobody else. Hey, and so the, the leper screams out, uh, you know, what this amazing thing that has happened to him. And Jesus now can't help but keep back the crowd because the word is getting out. There's a miracle worker, a healer on the streets, and his name is Jesus. And we're going we're to run to him so that our lives can be changed. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've heard that Jesus is on the streets and he's still healing. What is it that you need today? As you slow down for a minute, just this morning, and take notice of your heart, what is, what is your heart saying to you? Do you feel stuck and stretched out by life in these past few weeks, these past few months? Have you been unable to take another step? Christ is not too busy for you. So I invite you this morning. To, to pause, to simply pause and, 
and ask how God is coming to you in your situation. And so as we look at this text, I want us to be able to look at what the great physician uh, is doing and has for us as he goes below the surface of our trouble, as he goes below the surface of our lives. What has he laid out for us? I think one of the things that we'll notice from this passage is that there's a paralysis that we all might suffer from. If not now, in the future. And if we are not going through it now, we've gone through it in the past. But what is this paralysis? How does Jesus heal it? And how do we get to that healing? Or in other words, what is this paralysis of guilt? What is the healing voice? And where are the hands of mercy? What is this paralysis of guilt? What is the healing voice? And where are the hands of mercy? If you look with me again at verse 3, I think one of the things that's clear to us is that there is a true paralysis that many suffer from, a physical one, but also one of guilt. Verse 3 says, And they came to him, they came, and they came bringing to him, to Jesus, a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, remember there's so many people now, Jesus is popular, right? They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, at first glance, you could look at this and think, is Jesus being insensitive here? His friends came bringing a man who is paralyzed. He didn't come bringing a man who wanted his sins to be forgiven. It's just, Lord, heal me. I don't need to, like, that's great. Thank you for forgiving my sins, but I'm still laying here on the mat, right? Like, could you do something about that, Jesus? So, I mean, does this just confirm sort of that, that belief that Christianity is just this religion that is heavenly minded and no earthly good? Is that what's going on here? Now, we can think that Jesus has totally misdiagnosed the problem. And yet, I think what he is showing us here is that guilt is our real problem. Because we can get healed of many things. But if guilt still remains, we're still in trouble. Guilt will hold you down no matter what kind of suffering you're going through. And I want to tell you this morning that it can can do it to you in, in maybe like two different ways. So... First, when you feel stuck in life, and here's how guilt can show up. You begin to ask yourself this question, did I do something wrong to get here? Hey, is there there something going on in my life? Is that why I'm in this spot and I can't get out? The the paralytic must have thought something like this. And we don't know how long that he was in this condition. We have no idea. We don't know if it was from birth or, you know, whether it happened when he was a young man. Don't, we don't even know his age, right? We don't know how old he is. But um, he must have been struggling with this. So now, why do I say that? Look again at verse 6. Notice this. It says, Mark tells us now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? 
he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? What are we seeing right there? Jesus has the ability to read hearts. Right? He has the ability to know. Right? They question within themselves, and, and Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. So the scriptures show us in many places that forgiveness is granted to those who ask for it. Right? So it's not like Jesus was just going around. It wasn't like that old episode of you know, when Oprah still had her thing and she was giving out stuff. It's not like Jesus is going around saying, you know, hey, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. This is like, whoever wants forgiveness, like, like, just like, even if you don't want it, everybody's getting it. He doesn't just walk around. You're forgiving, you're forgiving, you're forgiving. No, but people ask for forgiveness. They repent. They confess their sins and come to Jesus, and then he is ready to forgive. That has to happen. So I, what the scriptures are showing us here, what Mark is telling us, is that Jesus heard the cry of this man's heart. And he's responded to him tenderly saying, my child, son, your sins are forgiven. See, without God's forgiveness, we will allow ourselves to be stressed out by a challenge at our jobs. Without God's forgiveness, we will allow ourselves to be stretched out by undereating or overeating because we know we've messed up and we, we feel that we are getting what we deserve. We can be laid out by a crumbling relationship and we can just give in to that relationship and not seek to do anything about it because we are deeply aware of our real and true guilt. And there's none of us that can go on living like that. Right? It's like, who can go on living that way? It's too much. Guilt will hold you down. Well, and then secondly, we can feel stuck right? when, when we're stuck when we're stretched out by life, paralyzed on our mat, as it were, we can sometimes contend with false guilt. What is that? What's false guilt? False guilt is that guilt that is wrongly perceived by others or even by our own conscience, right? It is that guilt that is wrongly perceived by others or even by our own conscience. And in Jesus' day, they tied the degree of one's suffering to the degree of their sin. And this is very common in Jesus' day. If you remember, there are other places in the Gospels that tell us about the blind man, Bartimaeus, right? and then people went and saw him, and he was born blind, and Jesus' own disciples asked the question, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? Right? Jesus said neither. Right? That with, there was a, it was a com, common belief. That's false guilt. That's a good example of it from the scriptures, I think. They thought the same thing. Job's friends thought the same thing about him. Right? When you read his story, they thought, well, surely you must have done something wrong. That's why you're in this situation. That's why you're stuck. That's why you can't get out. Because you messed up. You need to just go to God and confess your sins. But God himself rebuked Job's friends right, because of what they said. Our minds will sometimes tell us, you know, uh, I'm stuck. I'm paralyzed by the grip of trouble. 
because I've done something wrong. It's a strange idea that we even still have in our culture today, that those who appear morally pure should, should just get everything that they want. Right? Only those who work hard, only those who follow the rules ought to live on quote-unquote easy street. But if somehow you should find yourself on the, the outskirts of life, stuck in your circumstances and watching others walk by, well, surely you or your mama must have done something wrong. Why do we do that to each other? It's terrible. You know, the other thing is that trauma has this interesting way of doing the same thing in our own conscience. We've been sinned against in some terrible way and felt that we were unable to escape that trouble or to seek justice. And so one way of dealing with that is just telling ourselves we deserved it. You know, there's no way out. How will, how will this ever be made right? How can I ever be healed from this? I had absolutely no control over it. There was nothing I could do. Maybe I, maybe I, just, maybe I just deserve it. Who are you to find a hobby with friends when your parents have worked 25 hours a day? Who do you think you are pursuing a graduate degree when you know what happened to you in college? Do you really think that you should fight for a healthy marriage given just how beat up your family actually is? That's false guilt. We will stay paralyzed by loneliness and isolation and workaholism and dead-end jobs and uh, even a toxic relationship, relationship simply because of false guilt. When you find yourself laid out on the mat, you've come to the place in your own journey when you feel stuck, you need to pause and examine the guilt that may be there. Is this guilt, is it true or is it false? Whichever it is, how in the world can I be free of this thing so that I can walk again? I think that's an excellent question. In um, the book, which is also made into a movie, The Return of the King, many of you are familiar with this. There's some pretty central characters to the tale and some of these characters were uh, severely injured in battle and infected with this power called the Black Shadow. And they are brought to this place called the Houses of Healing, which is in the capital of uh, Gondor, the land of, of men in Minas Tirith. And so they, they go to the Houses of Healing. And there's this nurse who is there who sees these central characters who it looks like they are injured beyond hope. Right? And that there's nothing that can be done for them. And certain, all of a sudden, there's a nurse there who remembers. She remembers a prophecy that was told that said, the hand of the king are the hands of a healer. And so Gandalf retrieves. He goes out into the field, and he retrieves Aragorn, right, who is the, the rightful king, the next one who was supposed to come to the throne. And then the rest is history. My brothers and sisters, every house that Jesus enters into 
is a house of healing. Everywhere where Jesus is, there is healing. He is the son of man. He is the one who was foretold by the prophet Daniel. This is, he is the king right, that, that, that God himself would appoint to rule over us, to rule over all mankind and all of the earth, and he alone has the authority to remove that black shadow of guilt that we all struggle with. And his hands alone can free us. Look again at verse 5. I'm just going to read this whole portion again. Uh, and, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? And this is amazing, this question. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, you think about these statements. You think about this question that Jesus poses, right? Which, which one is easier to say? Well, of course, on the surface, it's easier to say that your sins are forgiven because there's, there's no physical way to prove that it's actually been done. But if Jesus says, get up, right, well, then everybody's watching to see what happens, <laughs> right? There needs to be immediate evidence. And yet, yet, to have our sins forgiven much harder. I mean, thanks to science, we've made some progress and we're, we're able to get somewhere close to this miracle of a paralytic being um, freed and being able to get up and walk again, right? We've gotten, so we were approaching that somehow uh, through science. And, and through science, we've been able to not only see these kinds of miracles at work for our own bodies, but also for our emotions even for entire communities. But who on earth has the authority to forgive sin? Who can take away that black shadow from our souls? The teachers of the law here, these scribes, they were right. right? Only God can forgive sins. They were absolutely right. That's the point. Now, oh, if they knew who they were talking to. The true prophets could only pronounce God's forgiveness of sins by saying, like, thus saith the Lord. They could, they could pronounce things like that on God's behalf, such as, like, we see maybe, you know, you go back uh, not too long ago. We went through First and Second Samuel here at Christ Central. So you, go, you, know, you can go back and look at the story with David and Nathan, the prophet Nathan. Nathan comes to David, right? Nathan tells David after he's confessed his guilt, he says, thus saith the Lord, right, your guilt has been removed. But Nathan doesn't say, you know, I'm saying to you, your sins are forgiven. He says that God says that, not me. But Jesus doesn't say, God just told me, right, your sins are forgiven. I just got a word from heaven that your sins are forgiven. Uh, no, Jesus doesn't do that, <laughs> right? He just declares it. Uh, and this is, you know, in my household, Right? Those of you who have children, you know this. 
Hey, if, if you've got, you know, and if you've got more than one child, right, one child can't just go to the other and say, make up your bed. Right? It's supposed to be mommy or daddy said, make up your bed. Why? Because your kids don't have the same authority as you. And yet Jesus speaks with the same authority as God the Father, pronouncing over this man as he speaks to us today, as we come to him, saying, your sins are forgiven. Jesus has the authority to declare forgiveness because he is God's son who has come in the flesh. To hear his voice is to hear the very voice of God. No one else but Jesus can speak the words that will free us. No one else but Christ. Can you hear him this morning? The kingdom of God is near. When you are held down from pursuing some, some measure of a, of a human life because of false guilt, you need to be able to hear the loving voice of your king calling out to you, my son, my child, my daughter. And if, if, if Jesus speaks for the father, then, then you can know that whatever trauma or trouble that has got you stretched out in this season of your life, you are not in that place because God hates you. And what about our true guilt? What about that real thing that's got us? Not the false stuff, not the things that we wrongly tell ourselves because of situations or that other people place on us, but what about that real guilt? I mean, I mean what, what about that, that if we were to look at our situation and realize that, you know what, I... I might be in this tough spot because of something that I said, because of something that I actually did. What about that kind of guilt? You don't need to stay in your sin. You don't need to stay paralyzed in your own self-made purgatory. Christ said to this man, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he says to him, rise. Take up your mat and go home. It's time for you to rise up. It's time for you to get up out of your guilt and to move forward. Because Jesus has spoken. And he, and he didn't just say, Jesus didn't just say, I forgive you. You know, as, as we're reading this, of course, yeah, that's just what happened in this part of the story. Right? Jesus speaks to this man, and he says, I forgive you, but we know the rest. What Mark presents to us later on, don't we? We know what's coming here in just, what, two weeks or so as we celebrate Good Friday. We know what's coming. It's the cross. Jesus didn't just speak it, but he did something about this man's sins, just as he has done something about ours. I mean, because if somebody comes to me and they you know, I, I, I park my car in the garage or something like that. Somebody breaks in and steals my car, but I forgive that person. Guess what? I still need a car, right? Somebody's got to pay for that. So it's not enough just to say, I'm, you're, you're forgiven, but there's a cost. And what the gospel is telling us is that Jesus is authorized to forgive our sins because he paid for them. Every single drop 
that we owe because of our sins was paid for at the cross when Jesus nails, the nails were pierced through his hands and pierced through his feet and it, the life began to, began to ebb out of, of his soul and out of his body and he cried that cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can get up and take our stretcher and walk away because Jesus got up that hill and he stretched his arms out on the cross and he was buried in the grave. And on that third day, early one Sunday morning, Jesus rose victorious from the grip of death so that we may also rise and we may also walk forward with courage, fortified in our backbone by the spirit of resurrection. I don't know what kind of guilt has got you in your place this morning. I don't know what kind of guilt has got you stuck and stretched out like this man, paralyzed, unable to live and, and move into the next section, the next season of, of a, a normal human life. What is this guilt that is keeping you from fighting for your marriage? What is this guilt that keeps you from investing in your career? This guilt that, you, that keeps you from searching for better medical treatment, from starting your own family, whether it be by adoption or, or birth, from what is this guilt that is keeping you from getting what you need to fight your addictions? What is this guilt that is keeping you from taking up the cause of the oppressed or becoming a leader in the place where God has called you to be? Whatever that guilt is, true or false, Jesus speaks to you with authority and he says, get up. Rise, my child. Take that mat and walk. How is God coming to you in your situation? Can you hear him? Can you hear his voice? Get to Jesus. Get to him. Don't, don't delay. Get to him today. Now, you, and, and even as you hear this now at home or here, you may be thinking, you know, brother, brother, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I, I, I want to hear Jesus I want to hear his voice. I want to hear him say these words over me, but I, I, I'm so paralyzed, I, I can't even walk to him. I can't get there. This is why you and I need something else. The hands of mercy. How, how are you supposed to walk to Jesus when you're stuck and stretched out? Surely the hands of mercy that we see are the hands of Jesus himself, right, which have been pierced through for our transgressions. But there are other hands, too. Did you see them? And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. This man had four friends to carry him when he couldn't get through the roof on his own. He had these, 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 these four friends, and, and when they couldn't do it, right, as you read the text carefully, it was not just his four friends, but then others came along and joined in and said, oh, look, let's help you. It, it, he says, let me, just, let me just leave this with you today. None of us is called to walk this journey 
alone. Not one of us. Right? And we often say here at Christ Central, sometimes you need others to believe when you can't. Right? And, and, and we need friends who will lift us up through the roof, as it were, in prayer. Right? We need friends who will remember the words of Jesus and speak them to us at the proper time. We need friends who are walking forward because they too have received the mercy of God. And maybe the prayer that you need to utter from your mat, whatever it is this morning, is, Lord, send me some friends. Send me some people who are going to have my back. Send me some people who know you. Send me some people that know something about your transforming grace and can remember that you have spoken words with authority, words that wash away, that take away, that evaporate and eradicate the black shadow of guilt that has gripped me and kept me paralyzed in my situation. I need friends who can pick me up and carry me straight to Jesus. Lord, send me some friends. Saints, we have to be ready, though, to answer that call. When somebody's prayed that prayer, we got to be ready. There are many within us that is in, in this church, but, all, but also around us, right, to are weighed down and oppressed by guilt. Will we ignore them? Will we make it worse? Or will we be hands of mercy? We are authorized to rise and to deliver the world to Christ. It's time for the church to get up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for seeing us laying out stressed out, stretched out in our situations. And Lord, you know that we carry not just false guilt ways in which people have said things against us that have injured us, that have hurt us deeply, and it's hard for us to get up, but we also have true guilt, God. And yet you have given us a Savior. You have given us a victor, a king who is risen and is ascended and is seated at your right hand and who is at work and has not only seated on high and sees us, but is seated on high in power for Jesus rose and said, behold, I have all power in my hand. And he is at work using that power to deliver your people, O oh God, those whom you have loved before the foundation of the world. And there are so many of us, Lord, who are struggling in quiet ways and in silence, Lord, deep down within the crevices of our own souls, things that some of us are not even aware of, ways in which maybe our inner child or something else is broken and crying out and saying, somebody, Lord Jesus, help me. Send me friends. Give me your hands of mercy. I cannot walk. But you, oh God, have the power to lift me up so that I can go home and I can go back to my ordinary way of life, but to do so in a way that gives you glory. To do so in a way that demonstrates your grace and your mercy and your love, which is everlasting. Oh God, we ask for these things during this hour. 
that you would give to each of us these friends, but it also help us to be those friends. Lord, would you do it? Would you do it today? Not because we are good in and of ourselves, but you, oh God, you who were without sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It is with hope and faith in you that we pray this this morning in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.